You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Wasn't that a lot of fun to worship? Yes? Okay, good. Um, I really enjoyed uh, something Melissa said, something about on the short-term missions trip that uh, something changed on them. And uh, when we were on short-term team to Ecuador, boy, did things change. Uh, yeah. So let me ask you a question. When, uh, have you ever had big life plans? You, you, know, you planned it really well. You were going for it, really excited about it. And then suddenly things changed on you? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Today we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, But I think about Charlottesville, just what happened Friday and what's going on. Um, It seems that things are going well sometimes, and then something like, like that happens where protesters come out and they're saying racist remarks. And, uh, and things just get ugly. And my question is, how do we respond as Christ followers? What is, what is our response? What do we do? How do we live in light of those things? Uh, my name is Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church. If you were to come to the fourth service at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you'd see me more often. Uh, not that you want to do that, but... Um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about uh, my story and uh, about one of my life, one big life detour in, in my life. And um, as some of you might know, I grew up as a missionary kid. I was born here in, in Ross, North Dakota. Uh, my, grand, my ancestors were homesteaders there, uh, but my mother is Paraguayan, so uh, I feel very much... American and very much Paraguayan. I don't know if I'm confused or what, but that's how I feel. Uh, but I grew up in Paraguay, and, as, and in Paraguay, I wasn't treated like a uh, foreigner in Paraguay. I was, my mom said, no, you, you're just a Paraguayan kid, so we're sending you to a local school, nothing special. And that's how I grew up. Um, and in that context, I, uh, uh, I was sent to a school where... Uh, um, evangelical Christian, or just, you know, if you're a believer in Christ, um, your views were kind of looked down on. And uh, a lot of my friends knew I was, a, I was a believer, but it wasn't easy to share the gospel. And uh, seeing the need, I wondered, what if, what if I got, got to go back to the States and uh, went to college and came back, and what if, I, what if we, I started a school or was involved in a school where I could teach and I could share my faith, and I could encourage other teachers to share their faith. And I it could encourage students who knew Christ to share their faith, and it would be okay for them to do that. What if, what if we could just, what if I could do that? Well, uh, I was 16, came up here, uh, went to college eventually, and uh, uh, I met this girl, Carrie, and uh, she's the prettiest girl from Oregon. Uh, so I found her in Iowa, and... Uh, <laughs> We got married, and uh, uh, you know one of the things I really loved about Carrie was her interest in missions. She had gone on a short-term missions trip to Ecuador, 
um, and uh, came back and was just really excited. Um, she was part of the Student Missionary Fellowship, and I was just like, wow. Um, so anyway, uh, we got to be good friends, and we got married. We had a couple of kids, and uh, this guy from Bolivia who had started this Christian school, uh, an outreach school for Bolivian kids, he invited me to come down, us to come down and be part of the school, and he, he wanted someone to come down and take over the school. He started, it was his life project. He started in 1956. So uh, when we arrived in Bolivia, um, the customs agent, you know, was asking me things. He said, where are you here for? And I said, I'm going to go work in Kamiti at this Christian school. He said, oh, which school? The Kamiti Christian School. He said, okay, do you know Gene Train? He asked me. I'm like, yeah, how do you know him? You know, he was, uh, I, this was a, I guess he, Gene had, just was well known. And I was coming to take over his role. Um, so we got down there and started working. I was very much invested in ministry, the school, uh, work in the school I was teaching, and I was also doing administrative work. Um, and so it was just, it was a lot of time. And I was living the dream. I was living the dream. This was an opportunity. We had kids who signed, you know, parents signed the documents knowing that we were going to share the Christ of the Bible. And they would sign their kids up, yes, we want them to go to your school. And so every, every, day, every day, every week, I had Bible classes. And these kids were not church kids, but they'd come in and I could share Christ. It was really exciting. Um, but uh, I, was, I didn't necessarily do things the right way. Carrie, uh, she was very smart. And I knew that. So I, I just kind of assumed that she would learn Spanish kind of like I did. You know, I just, it just happened. Um, but uh, it didn't quite happen for her that way. We had two kids at home. She was homeschooling, so she didn't spend a lot of time with people, uh, but uh, it was just a lonely time for her. And uh, two years down, three years, and it just got, got to be fairly heavy, and I was very heavily invested in ministry, very heavily invested in the school, in church. We had a home group coming to our house, um, And my wife wasn't getting my best. One day I got home, and uh, I'm trying to have a conversation. And she said, uh, why don't you just go back to school? You love the ministry more than you love us. And that was really hard. I was, thought I was doing the right thing. There are good things. But, and, and this was one of them. But my priorities weren't right. So I started to say no to things. And I started investing time with Carrie. Ended up going to language school for a couple months. And she was finally getting grounded and speaking. And, but uh, then other things happened. Like my daughter, Sayla, was sick with constant UTIs. Um, and uh, we would treat her with antibiotics and She'd get better. We'd treat her with stronger ones, and she'd get better, stronger ones. Eventually, she would be on an IV, and the fevers weren't going down. And so uh, we went to see uh, different specialists in Bolivia, and one guy, uh, he said, well, um, the surgery that we're going to have to do is going to cost uh, $3,000. If you give me half of it now, then uh, I'll go get the parts, and we can have the surgery next week. Well, uh, that wasn't sure about that. So we went to get another opinion, and this other doctor said, you know, I wouldn't do that. If, you could, if I could take my daughter to the States to, to have this looked at, I would. So uh, we decided to do that. And uh, another crisis that happened was my daughter, Essie, when she was born, 
Uh, she weighed three pounds at birth. My wife had preeclampsia throughout, throughout the pregnancy, and it was pretty hard. Um, and uh, when my daughter was taken, uh, when she was born, the doctor said, um, your daughter has a 30% chance to live. We changed her name from Samantha to Esperanza, which means hope. And uh, when the doctor said that, my wife had already been taken to the ICU, and uh, I wasn't sure when she woke up how I would tell her this. How am I supposed to tell her this? It was hard. So um, anyway, there were lots of things not happening right. So we decided, let's go back to the States, um, see if we can resolve the issue with Selah, and, and uh, let's take, take a break and come back. That was the plan. Well, the month we got here was the month that the pastor of uh, Comunidad, which now is the fourth service, uh, that was the month that he passed away. And it was a detour that Comunidad was going through. That was a sudden change. And here we were, um, I was hoping to go back. I went three times to Bolivia, actually, over the next year. And I took some time just to think. This guy said, hey, I need someone to cut some trees. Would you like to do some work? I said, so I spent time driving uh, an hour away and just spent some time cutting trees and just thinking and wondering what was going on. And the more, as time went on, I realized we're not going back right away. And so I started wondering, why? Why? This passage that we're look, looking at today has a lot to do with life's detours. On his second missionary journey, Paul writes the Roman church and says, <clears throat> but now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, I, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain, and I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul had this great plan. He'd already preached on the east side of Rome, and he wanted to make it to Rome. And he was thinking, this is, this is the plan. I've got to preach to the Gentiles. Rome is a place to go. And from there, I can go to Spain. So he had this great plan. This is what I think God wants for me. This is, this is the plan. He's excited about it, but that's not exactly how it happened. Um, as you, we've heard in the past few weeks going through Philippians, when Paul writes this book, he's in chains. He's in prison. wonder how disappointing that was. He's there, he's in Rome, but not exactly the way he had planned. So here's a huge life detour, and, and here's our passage for today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that... What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love. And knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not merely supposing, not, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while in my chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So we go back, look at this passage, as in many of his writings, he, he calls the Philippians brothers and sisters. And uh, I think about this relationship between Paul and, and the Philippians. He had, they had a very special place in his heart. Um, from the first time he went to visit them, he, one of these ladies comes to know Christ and she opens up her home right away to have Paul. He says, you know what? Why don't you make our home your base? And you can do ministry from here while in town. Right away, she's so excited about Jesus, about this relationship, that she wants to be part of it. And she invests in Paul and is, is sacrificing. Um, Paul right away is thrown into prison. And this soldier that comes to know Christ in that prison he, because Paul was beaten and, and locked and you know, put in uh, stocks, uh, the soldier, when he comes to know Christ, he starts taking care of Paul. He, he bandages his wounds and basically begins to care for him. And so the, the new believers in Philippi, they have this relationship where they realize this guy's coming to share this treasure with us, this Jesus with us, and he's doing it at the cost of, of himself. He's suffering. This is really valuable to him. So when they come to know Christ, they are totally invested. Paul moves on and they say, you know what? We want to support you on the rest of your trip. In fact, we're going to support you from now on. And here Paul is in Rome and they are still supporting him on his third missionary journey. Well, <laughs> um, kind of forced. But yeah, um, they send one of the guys from their own group a guy named Epaphroditus is sent to help and serve Paul. So when Paul here is calling them brothers and sisters, there is a strong sense of family connection. Family connection. This week I, was, I spent some time with a friend of mine. His name is Jim Dryden. Some of you in here know him. And uh, he's about 92. And we were at a camp I remember years ago, I had this small group of kids that were coming from a school and we, here in, in Portland, and uh, they would come to this class, and I would spend some time teaching them Bible. And he would come in, he would just put a chair over in the corner, and he'd sit in the chair, and he'd just sit there for a while, and then he would kind of nod his head, and, and it looked like he was falling asleep. He wasn't. He was praying. He would pray for an hour straight, just pray for these kids. So this past week, uh, we were just talking, and one of those kids was there as a counselor. You know, and, and Jim, he says this, he, he's standing there with three of, us, three of us guys, and he says, isn't this amazing, us standing here and talking, and the level of friendship is so deep. It's just so ama- amazing, and there are so many who have no idea what this is. I was like, yeah, yeah. Look around. No, really, look around. Look around, look at each other. This is family. This is brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a relationship. We are the Father's children, and it's so important to realize how great this is. It's amazing. We can go to Czech Republic or Ecuador, or Lebanon, 
And we come to know people who know, and immediately we connect with people who know Christ, and there's this bond that is just strong. It's there. So Paul is writing these believers, and he, he cares about them, and they care about him, so he wants to tell them, well, so what's happened to me? Well, before he tells them what's happened to him, let's ask that question. What happened to Paul? What happened to him? Why, why is he in prison In Acts chapter 21, verses 27, um, when Paul was in Jerusalem, he just got gone back at the end of his second missionary journey. Um, he had just come out of the temple and spent time about two weeks after, and some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So these are Asian Jews who, if you read Paul's journeys, he goes to one town, is preaching the gospel. And, you know, just when people are coming to know Christ, these guys come in and they are against him. So he has to leave that town and he goes to another town and you know by the time they figure out where he's at they take off and they finally get there and they start stirring up trouble for him and he has to move to another place and another place. It seems like they, they finally catch up to him. And so the crowd in Jerusalem just rushes, G, uh, rushes Paul and they grab him and they try to kill him and by God's grace he was rescued by a Roman centurion. He was then falsely accused of bringing foreigners into the temple, as we just saw, by men who had followed him. Uh, They didn't like what he preached. They didn't like that he would preach a Messiah that came to the Jews, was rejected by the leaders. And now, not, not only is he preaching the Messiah to Jews, he's preaching the Messiah to Gentiles. How terrible. But that's what he's doing. He's preaching. There were about 40 men in Jerusalem Uh, Some of those were probably men that Paul himself persecuted the church with before he came to Christ. These men had taken an oath to not eat or drink until they killed Paul. They were going to take the law into their own hands, and by God's grace, that didn't happen. So he was taken to a coastal prison in Caesarea, and there he was tried before Felix, the governor, In his accusation, the prosecuting lawyer said, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. To Felix, this didn't matter too much. He was a Roman. This was a Jewish matter. So even though Paul was innocent, instead of releasing him, Felix held him there for about two years. He was kind of hoping that maybe Paul and his friends would offer him a bribe. Imagine that, for two years being held. How disappointing might that be? You're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel, sharing this great news, and here you are, locked up. He's awaiting so finally, there's this thought, you know, let's send him back to Jerusalem. And Paul's like, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. So he appeals to Caesar. So he is going to Rome after all. He does go to Rome. And this is probably the place where he was held. This is the Mamertine prison. 
prison in Rome. Um, But can you imagine the disappointment? Here you are, you're called by God to, to share the gospel to the Gentiles and you're locked up for years. I'm sure Paul was was tempted to complain or to be honest. You know, my situation is terrible. I, I can't sleep at night. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I don't have any personal space. Can you imagine his prayers? Why, God? Why? What's the point? And it's very possible that Paul wrestled with that. And yet, Here in this passage that we look at today, we see him being able to look back and give an answer, be able to say there is a purpose to all of this. And here's what Paul says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's happened to me, this terrible thing, this obstacle or seemingly obstacle is actually, is actually Um, the way by which the gospel was being made known. His plan to share the gospel was one, and yet God chooses another. These obstructions, these obstacles, they're actually turned into the way for God. This is what God wants to do. So Paul thinks of two other results, not just that the gospel advances, but, but people as they come in contact with Paul, the soldier and everybody else, they realize the reason why this guy's in is because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And another result of this is that because believers come and spend time with him, they leave with a contagious confidence. Let's get into this a little bit. Look at this. The why was Jesus. You know, have you ever, um, have you ever seen a prisoner maybe driving down the road? I've got, we've got kids at home. I've got a few kids, and uh, you know they see a guy dressed in, in an orange suit, and they're wondering, why? What did, he, what did he do? Have you ever done that? See a prisoner, and why is he in? I wonder what he did. Was he a thief? Was he a murderer? Was he an assault? What did he do? What kind of a person is that? Well, why was Paul in? Were people wondering about him? In fact, they were. Uh, on his missionary, on, on his voyage from Caesarea to Rome, his, the ship broke down, uh, or the ship got destroyed, and, and uh, he ended up on this island, and the people came out, you know, to see all these prisoners on their island, and Paul was looking for some firewood. He was bit by a snake, and, and, and the people were like, oh, he must have been a murderer. He must have been a bad man. Look at that. Fate got him. Yeah, and... and and Paul got healed, of course, and, and then they were like, well, he's God. It's just kind of an interesting thing how they jump from one thing to the next. But, but people wonder, they're curious. And so when people hung out with Paul, they were wondering, why is he in? And it was just so very clear. In spending time with him, it was very clear his, the reason why he was in there. Everyone knew he was in because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. If you were a soldier or a guard watching the prisoners, Paul's story was different. It was because of him that the lives of Roman soldiers were saved on that voyage to Rome. If you were the one who brought the food, you would probably, you would probably heard about Jesus. Imagine watching the people who come to spend time with him. These were Roman soldiers. You probably couldn't force your message on these guys. But maybe, 
Maybe if I could just earn, earn the right to have them listen. If I could earn their rapport. If I could just build the rapport and earn the right to share. And Paul did. These soldiers who spent time around Paul, they heard the stories about how he came to know Christ. How he used to persecute Christians about his mission trips. They would have observed Paul not just when he was around you know, people, but they would have observed Paul when he was alone. The times he wrote, the times he prayed. And perhaps they wondered, why, Paul? Why would you do that? What does it matter? You're probably gonna die. And yet here he is spending his time praying for others and caring for others, caring for the very soldiers themselves. You know, they watched, they listened, and Paul was real. Paul was authentic. When he prayed, he truly believed he was talking to Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't afraid to die. In fact, he looked forward to it. And yet, if he was going to live, he was going to serve. Imagine the conversation one of these soldiers might have when he went home and, and you know, talked to his wife. This Paul guy. He's not like the other prisoners. There's something very different about him. Even though this wasn't the way Paul had planned on going to Rome, the entire palace guard had heard about Paul and why he was in. Not just the guards, it says everyone else. And Paul's gonna say at the end of his book, Caesar's household sends you greetings. Wow, the impact. The Another result is this contagious confidence. When, when those who knew Paul, when those who knew Christ came to visit Paul, it says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They came, spent time with Paul, and they walked away challenged to be real. They understood they were citizens of heaven. That this gospel wasn't about following my group's traditions. It wasn't about rules to live by. It was about a personal relationship with Christ himself. It's about not being ashamed to be associated with him. Instead, to be proud of knowing Jesus. There was a high chance that if you spent time with Paul and you went home and people found out that you were a Christian You might lose your job. You might lose friends. You might be called intolerant. Really? How can there be only one God? There really is only one way to heaven? Sounds a little bit exclusive, doesn't it? But that's, that was the culture. For many, it's not so different today. The stories in Syria of families being torn apart for the gospel the stories that the teams are coming back from, from Lebanon to tell, it's hard. But it's not, there's some of that that goes on right here. There's a lady who comes to our fourth service. Her name is Monica. She's getting married this Sunday. Um, And, uh, but she started coming to this small group study. And right from the get-go, she would say, you know, I just want you guys to know I'm not from this church. 
you know, I'm not from this group, but I just want to come. I really, really like hearing about Jesus, and I really like the Bible, and I hope it's okay with you guys. Like, yeah, come on in. So we start going through the Bible, going, going through, uh, I can't remember the book at this point, but we start reading through this, and she's just, you could just tell there was this fire, this, this mind-blowing experience for her of knowing Jesus more and more and more. And as she kept, she just kept insisting every now and then, you know, I just want you to know I'm not, I'm not from this church, but, but I, you know, I really enjoy Jesus and I really enjoy what we're talking about. And she calls her mom after a New Year's party here in this building. She calls her mom in Mexico and mom's, uh, mom says, so what'd you do for New Year's Eve? And she said, well, uh, I spent some time, went to a New Year's Eve party at the church. She said, really? You went to church? I didn't know church had that. Like, oh, yeah, no, it was, it was at uh, the Christian church. Like, what? You went with those people? Really? How could you do that? What about family tradition and loyalty? How could you do that to our family? And mom was really upset. This daughter of hers is an adult. <laughs> you know, um, and Monica comes back that week and she says, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my relationship with my mom? You guys know, I've told you many times, I'm not, I'm not really from this church, but one thing I do know is I'm hanging on to Jesus Christ and I'm not letting him go. It's like, yes, that's what it's about. It's all it's about. That's, that's, that's the key. And there are, often there's a price to pay. When you come to know Christ, it happens. Um, so what does it look like? What does it look like to be an authentic Christ follower in my life, in your life? What does my wife think about me and my relationship with Christ? How am I representing Christ to her? What does that look like? If I asked my kids what they thought about my priorities, what would they say? What kind of conversation do our coworkers, when they spend time with you and they go home and they talk to their wife or their husband and they talk about you what does that conversation look like? What, what is said about you? How are you following Jesus? How am I following Jesus? Does the way you follow him point to a list of do's and don'ts or does it, does it point to a friendship with someone who invites us to come to him just as you are? Last, last Sunday, I had this great conversation with a guy named Claudio right out here in the parking lot. Um, he had filled out this form that basically said, you know, um, I, I don't know if I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I want to know more about this. He'd been coming here for a, long t- for a while now. And so we, we started talking and I said, well, who, who is Jesus to you? And he said, well, he's, he's the Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. Um, you know, he's, he's God. And uh, I said, okay. A- and... Who is he to you? Do you have a personal relationship with him? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, why not? 
And he said, well, is there something I'm supposed to do? Am, should I, am I supposed to get baptized first? You know? And I said, no, there, you don't have to get baptized first. You don't have to do anything. Jesus did everything for you. He has done everything for you to come into a relationship with him, to, for him to be your savior. And I said, is there anything that's stopping you from choosing to trust him right now? And he said, No. And I said, I know we're in the parking lot and everything. It's not like the most sacred place, but would you like to just do that right now? Just trust him. And he said, yes, I would. And I didn't even, I didn't even bow my head or anything. He just went boom and started praying. And he said, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my life. And it was this little hiccup. I have to get baptized first. He had one little rule was in his way. I'm like, What? You know, who are we representing? How do we represent Christ? Where did he get that idea? And and makes me wonder how, how we're sharing the gospel. And the challenge to these guys was because they spent time with Paul, they dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They used they used their words, they used their lives. When we share the gospel, I, I got to tell, I got to say this to myself. What's the worst thing that can happen? And a lot of times that's the big hiccup. You know? And there are some bad things that could happen, sure. It could be a very embarrassing moment. I had a friend of mine, uh, this guy gets on the max and, and he's trying to read this document. This guy across the way, he starts on the cell phone, he starts screaming and he, then he starts crying and the guy's like, oh, I feel like I need to pray for him. And he finally builds up the courage, and he says, uh, can I pray for you? And the guy looks at him and says, no. And he walks off. Well, that was embarrassing. Uh, the, the rest of the story is really cool. I'll tell you later if you come ask me. But, <laughs> but um, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, that's the worst. You got that. What about, what's the best thing that can happen? What's a good thing that can happen? What if they come to know Christ? What if they pass from eternal condemnation to everlasting life? Is that worth it? That is so worth it. That's why Paul is willing to suffer. He's willing to allow people to beat him because it's so worth it to share Jesus Christ. We're talking about eternal value, not temporary stuff. Of course it's valuable. And so Paul goes on here and he talks about two kinds of people that share the gospel. And there's this first group. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Sorry, this is the same group. Out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. They are trying to stir up trouble for me while in my chains. That's the first group. Not sure what they wanted, but they seem to have, want credit for someone else's work. They envy Paul. I mean, here he is in prison and his ministry is really happening. And they envy him. Um, this happens today. People share Christ with all kinds of different motives. And there, there are even churches with different focuses. Some are like the, the doctrine-focused church, the list church, which doctrine is it's a good thing, but some are the great music church, and that's really what they want to be known for, the lively church, the hip church, the outreach church. I, we could make a list. 
And that's what they're really focused on. And a lot of those things, they're really, really good. They're good things. But we want these things. But one of the things I'm so excited about is being part of Grace Community Church. I'm excited because we're about loving God and loving people. In that order. I love hanging out uh, in the staff meetings. We go to staff meetings and, you know, sometimes it's business, but man, it's fun. It's a lot of fun uh, hanging out. Imagine hanging out with Matt Patrick. <laughs> you know, there are some things that he can say that if I tried to say him, I would not get away with it. <laughs> you know, he just has this way about him. It's kind of cool. Um, or, or going to preaching team. And sometimes there are some kind of tense situations. I hear one guy say one thing, another guy seems to be very much disagreeing with him, and then it gets kind of hot. Well, this person says, and it's kind of building up a little bit, and I I think, "Uh uh-oh, are we going to throw something here? But no, it doesn't. It's pretty cool. In the end, we're brothers in Christ, and you can sense that. It's just very clear. It's very clear, and I love being a part of that. It's got this home feeling we're family. We're brothers and sisters. And then there's, there's this second group of people out of goodwill. The latter share the gospel out of love. That's, that's the whole reason why Paul is sharing. He loved people. He could have just rejected this whole gospel thing and this wouldn't be a problem. But if he had done that, then he'd be turning his back on Jesus Christ. The gospel would look like something worthless in his life. Where does he get that? Where does Paul get that? In this book, the, the core passage of this book says this. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the example. What was Jesus' motive? It wasn't himself. He, He put himself aside and he humbled himself to look for for us. That was his motive, and that's the heart of Paul. That's why he's preaching. And then uh, Paul could have really gotten wrapped up in those guys that were having the wrong motives, but what does he do? He says, but what does it matter? Not gonna get caught up in all this. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. I'm just excited they're preaching. You know, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it with these motives. If they wanna preach, whatever, that's not, you know what? Let it go. And so that's his heart. So going back to that question from the beginning, we already see how Paul responds to life's detours. How do we respond to life's detours? Do we respond like Paul? Do we see God's purpose in our situation? Paul was able to look back and say, look at what God has done. As I think about what happened when I left, when we left Bolivia, first year or so, well, it was really hard. I was wondering why. Yeah, I knew I messed things up. But I said, God, you had this plan. 
I know I'm supposed to serve you. I know that's what I want to do. This isn't working. And uh, I had to come to the point where I started thinking, you know what, let me, let, let's just, what do you want? What's your purpose in all this? I know you want me to love you. So let's start there. And then you want me to love people. And where does that start? It starts at home. It starts with my wife. It starts with my kids. And I started investing. I started listening. I'm not quite there yet, but it's so much better. <laughs> it's so good. And, um, and God did something. I really didn't want to get back invested in ministry. But it seemed like God was saying, comunidad, 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 comunidad. And my wife was supportive, very supportive. And uh, we started investing. And the impact the gospel has had through us here at Comunidad has not just been here. It's been in many different parts of Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, Peru. More more recently, I got to go to Ecuador with, with people from Grace. That was an amazing trip. It was really cool. Um, I don't know where you're at when it comes to life's detours. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But as you think about life's detours, maybe you're, you're out of one or maybe you're headed into one because that's, that's usually the way it seems to go. You're either in one or you're going into one. I don't know where you're at. Um, maybe you're right in the middle of it. And you're wondering why. Will you trust God? Will you trust Him enough to follow His purpose in your life? Will you choose to align your heart to His purpose? Would you take a minute now and invite His Spirit to guide you to know this love? that makes us free. It makes us free to make Jesus known, to have this contagious confidence. Would you do that? Go ahead, take a few seconds and just pray. And then the worship team's gonna lead us. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.